Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You are entering the news vault from KCBS Radio. Flames and the smoke. I have a tape recorder in my hand. Now, nobody would think of doing that. The newsmen were blocking the door. It worked for a couple of seconds. Bringing the sounds of history back to life. Here is your host, Stan Bunger. Well, when you talk about radio news history, you cannot ignore The World News Roundup. This is the longest-running network news broadcast in radio. It first aired on March 13, 1938. It was to be a one-time special focusing on the growing tensions in Europe. The first episode uh, involved veteran radio personality Robert Trout anchoring for CBS News from New York. And the world heard the voices of Edward R. Murrow in London and William L. Shirer in Berlin. It was very successful. It was a 35-minute broadcast. They repeated the concept the following evening. And then later that year, as things got worse in Europe, they did it again. Eventually, it evolved into a daily show and in one form or another has existed ever since that date in 1938. What's fascinating to consider, of course, is the ground that had to be broken to do something like this. These days, we take it for granted that you can take the smartphone out of your pocket and call anywhere in the world. Not so easy back then. Paul White at CBS News was one of the founders and is the strong forces behind the creation of the World News Roundup. And he uh, had written over the years about exactly how it all worked. You had circuits that had to be switched from city to city. If someone tossed in a broadcast to someone in a far-flung place, there might be several seconds of delay while the circuits were switched in each of the cities through which that telephone line went. He described, Paul White did, exactly what the preparations were like leading up to D-Day. Now, again, this is a few years later, but she'll get a sense of how things work. I'm reading from a book he wrote. There appeared on the wall of Studio 9 a pine cupboard that looked like a medicine cabinet. It was locked, and there were 11 numbered keys given to 11 newsmen, at least one of whom was scheduled to be in the newsroom at any hour, day or night. They were waiting to get the word from Europe that the D-Day invasion was going to be launched. So they had to monitor these live circuits. Inside the cabinet was a microphone attached to a good deal of wire that would stretch to a view of any of the 13 automatic printer machines in the newsroom or any of five other machines linking us with cable companies in the adjacent network traffic office. There was also a switch. At any time that switch was depressed a fraction of an inch, the entire network would be shunted aside and that microphone would become the mainline express. All intermediate controls would be abolished and whatever was said into that flash mic would have the complete right-of-way. People monitored these circuits 24-7, and that's how the news was delivered from the war zone to the listeners in the United States. What we have for you on this episode of the News Vault is a 1988 retrospective. The CBS radio program Newsmark, on uh, that date in 1988, aired an episode honoring the World News Roundup on its 50th anniversary. Newsmark. Sponsored in part by United Airlines and the American Express Card. This week, the World News Roundup at 50. Columbia now presents a special broadcast. This is Bob Trout speaking to you from New York 
opening Columbia's shortwave transatlantic program to cover the key cities of Europe. Now here's Douglas Edwards with the CBS World News Roundup. Good morning, everybody. Korean communists making use of their advantage in tanks have come... Now here's Ned Calmer with the CBS World News Roundup. Good morning, everybody. From the Rockies to the Atlantic. Good morning. This is Dallas Townsend with the CBS World News Roundup. Good morning. This is Reed Collins with the CBS World News Roundup. Good morning, everyone. I'm Christopher Glenn with the CBS World News Roundup. Good morning. Bill Lynch with the CBS World News Roundup. And this is Bill Lynch, current anchor of the World News Roundup, the latest in a line that stretches back through those voices and others for 50 years. It was, in fact, 50 years ago this weekend that the CBS World News Roundup and modern broadcast journalism were born. The date, March 13, 1938. The Anschluss, Hitler's annexation of Austria, the first great crisis leading to World War II. Until that March Sunday night, radio news had pretty much meant an announcer or a commentator sitting behind his microphone in a studio and reading a script. The kind of broadcast news we know today, correspondents in the field reporting on what they have seen and learned, then did not exist. The technology was there, short wavelengths and broadcast cables. But until the Austrian crisis, the radio networks had used that technology for cultural and entertainment broadcast or the occasional political commentary. Why couldn't that technology be used for a news broadcast? CBS founder William Paley wanted to know. Why couldn't CBS link on-the-scene reporters in European cities with the United States for a broadcast on the crisis? He asked his deputy, Ed Clauber, and his news director, Paul White. It could, they did. And the World News Roundup and all its radio and television descendants was born. Some memories of the early years when Newsmark, the World News Roundup at 50, continues. One day, a company in Cleveland sneezed. Later, six of their suppliers in New York and L.A. caught a cold. Then 27 of their clients in three continents came down with the flu. In today's interdependent economy, some event in some unobserved place will soon affect the way you do business, and the Wall Street Journal will be there to observe it. Every business day, the journal monitors the connections that knit the world together, alerting you to events before they ripple their way back to you. The Wall Street Journal, a few ounces of prevention that could ward off a very expensive cure. Get 13 weeks of the journal for just $29.75. 13 weeks, only $29.75. Call toll-free in the continental U.S., 800-228-6600. 800-228-6600. The program of St. Louis Blues, originally scheduled for this time, has been canceled. Representative Maury Maverick of Texas Scheduled at 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be heard instead at 8.45 p.m. this evening speaking on the subject, Too Many Battleships and War. Tonight the world trembles, torn by conflicting forces. Throughout this day, event has crowded upon event in tumultuous Austria. Meanwhile, the outside world, gravely shaken by the Austrian crisis, moves cautiously through a maze of diplomatic perils. The voice of Robert Trout as he began the first World News Roundup 50 years ago. 
Bob Trout has become a legend among broadcasters. For more than 30 years, he was the voice of CBS News on radio. Today, he is the Madrid-based special correspondent for ABC News. We asked Bob Trout to join another legend, CBS News correspondent Douglas Edwards, who anchored the roundup 40 years ago, to listen to that first broadcast and to reminisce. To bring you the picture of Europe tonight, Columbia now presents a special broadcast which will include pickups direct from London, from Paris, and such other European capitals as, at this late hour abroad, have communication channels available. This is Bob Trout speaking to you from New York, opening Columbia's shortwave transatlantic program to cover the key cities of Europe. But before switching to our first European capital, let us look once again at the latest news bulletins with swift, fresh details of a Europe in turmoil. And so it was. <laughs> the first World News Roundup, not at 8 a.m. as it is now, but at 8 p.m. on that March 13, 1938. What memories does that conjure up, Bob? Well, it hadn't conjured up any until I heard that 1938 style, which is not 1988, is it? I, I Yours was know. always good, no matter what the vintage. Oh, no, that's quite different, those days. No. I was surprised I'd forgotten how it was then. But, of course, it does, uh, it does bring up memories of uh, the first really bad crisis, the Austrian one, when I think for the first time people in the United States, not many, but some, began to realize that the unthinkable could happen. Most people just wouldn't believe that. It's just seemed too incredible that war could ever come again. We were so far away from it, but we were drawn uh, inevitably closer to it mm -hmm. by such broadcasts as that one, that night in March of 1938. Actually, it was a five-point pickup. There was uh, Pierre Huss of the International News Service from mm -hmm. Berlin, Edgar Maurer from uh, Paris, as well as another voice, that of Edward R. Murrow. This is Edward Murrow speaking from Vienna. It's now nearly 2.30 in the morning, and their Hitler has not yet arrived. No one seems to know just when he will get here. I arrived here by air from Warsaw and Berlin only a few hours ago, and I'd like to tell you a few things seen and heard in the course of the day. From the air, Vienna didn't look much different than it has before. But nevertheless, it's changed. The crowds are courteous, as they've always been. But many people are in holiday mood. They lift the right arm a little higher here than in Berlin. And the Heil Hitler is said a little more loudly. An illustrious career, of course, Bob Trout was launched with that very first news broadcast done by Edward R. Murrow out of Vienna. Uh, Ed went to Europe to be what was then called the CBS representative in Europe, an administrative position with responsibility for all Europe, but not for going on the air himself. He wasn't to be a broadcaster. He was to be an executive taking, looking out for the company's interests and uh, perhaps arranging occasionally for some uh, special thing like a symphony concert somewhere, which he might just introduce on the air in one sentence. So as, the, uh, as this Austrian crisis uh, came upon us, uh, it was obvious that um, we were going to have to do something about voices. We had no news correspondence at all that didn't exist we didn't even have a news department as such at the network or at any of the any of the networks either of the two big networks then uh, so uh, ed was given permission to uh, hire um, william l shira which he did and shira was to uh, report in berlin uh, so uh, 
Ed hadn't gone on the air yet. Shira was a complete novice at it. A distinguished journalist, but not a broadcaster. When the program went on, uh, Ed was uh, on the continent where among the German speakers where Bill Shira should have been and, and William O. Shira was in London, which was Ed's home. All a very lucky happenstance, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the whole concept of the World News Roundup, that broadcast worked so very well that... Uh, uh, there was a warning that night, was there not, the World News Roundup? Yeah, I don't remember just what happened immediately after that. You see, we've been covering the, um, the, the crisis, as we were, by, by calling in people. I mean, that is, I would uh, uh, introduce some pickup in uh, Europe after it had been arranged, and we'd have someone, uh, a general or a member of parliament or someone who could talk to us, uh, go on and give a little talk and then switch the air back to me in New York. And then uh, this was the, the bright idea of uh, someone, different people probably feel that they should get the credit, but Paul White was the director of news, yes. as you and I know, in those days. And uh, as far as I know, Paul was the one giving the orders, and he ordained that we should have a half an hour and try to combine a lot of the points all in one broadcast. But whether it really crossed his mind at the time, or my mind, or any of us, that this was going to be the first in a, a series, and a long, long, long-running series, 50 years, uh, I don't really know. What do you see is the difference now between uh, the roundup approach of those days, 50 years ago, and uh, as it's done now? Uh, there hasn't been uh, a great deal of difference, except, of course, we've become a, a great news-gathering organization, the network, and um, uh, we have our own correspondence and our people who are contributing correspondence, and we, we no longer rely on having to get newspaper men uh, to uh, to appear or members of parliament or whatever. And uh, I don't think there's any, any basic change in the format, though, do you? Not in the format, but uh, in, in some of its execution, I mm. think, in the use of, uh, of uh, radio tape, which yes. in those days, as you remember, absolutely verboten. Yeah. We just didn't use any of it, did no, we? No, that would have made a big difference, but we weren't allowed to. Wouldn't it, though? Everything was live. Do you think we have as much fun as we used to have in those days? Doubt it very much. Just plain fun. It, it was great fun to do things live, yeah. and uh, it, was, it was a tremendous challenge, really. Yeah. And uh, we, yeah. were, we, we were developing radio news at that time, and certainly yeah. the, the World News Roundup was a great yeah. part of it. We all had a sense of that, didn't we, that we were uh, developing things and that we were pioneers in a way and uh, having fun and making, inventing new things. Well, the World News Roundup heavens above. Uh, it had certain controlling powers there. We had the talents of the great Edward R. Murrow in Europe. Uh, the, much history has been written about that. There is one man, however, uh, here on this side in New York who I think uh, really never has gotten quite the credit that he should have, and I speak of Paul White. He was a very complicated man. Uh, uh, he uh, had his weaknesses... Uh, he was an old-time newspaper man to begin with, and uh, in those days that practically meant that you drank more than you should drink, and sometimes uh, you drank at embarrassing moments a little bit too much. But he, had, he was a brilliant man in his way, an en enormously competitive man. He wanted to win at everything, and he didn't care. Well, he did care how he won, but if he couldn't win uh, uh, in the nicest way, he'd win a, uh, a little bit, perhaps shading, the, shading it a little, if you know what I mean. Uh, and uh, he he had a vision and he had standards and uh, he was uh, he believed uh, that uh, as we all did in those days we were all full of this fervor that uh, the standards must be kept high and uh, he really set the tone and uh, what he created uh, 
radio news, although he was never a news department until late in the war. He was tremendously great at logistics, as mm. I remember, uh, setting up circuits mm. and quite often buying up circuits ahead of uh, some of our uh, loyal competition. Bob, great having you with us. Long may you wave. Douglas Edwards with ABC Newsman Robert Trout. For the CBS News editors and producers during World War II and after, the Roundup became a daily challenge. A concerto of precise timings and complicated overseas hookups. All played, according to broadcast historian Ed Bliss, a one-time editor, on an instrument known as Paul White's piano. Paul White called upon the engineers to create a device to set on his desk in his office by which he could control multiple broadcasts from overseas. Primarily, this was used for the World News Roundup. And this device, which stretched from one end of his desk to the other, was called a piano. And it was full of little lights and little switches and little buttons. I can just see it now. And uh, the way it worked was uh, you'd see AT&T. Well, you knew that was the circuit for London. RCA was... I remember was the circuit for Paris. And you'd sit at his desk playing this piano, and you determined which point was going to come up next. And uh, you'd press a button, and the light at the top of this board would light, a white light, and that showed you were going next to London. If you punched up farther down the board to the right and punched another button, it would indicate that Rome was going to come up. And you just played this board that way. And uh, it, it was rather hectic. Paul White said you could do everything with this board except make a milkshake or eliminate static. We'll have some of that Paul White piano music when Newsmark continues in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, President Reagan speaks on behalf of employer support of the National Guard and Reserves. There are more than a million men and women serving America in the National Guard and Reserve. They're a vital part of our nation's defense. Duty with the Guard and Reserve is demanding. It requires members to take time off from their regular jobs and takes them away from their families for military training. Therefore, I extend the thanks of the nation to those of you who support the Guard and Reserve. Without the backing of employers and families, we could not maintain these essential volunteer forces. The security of our nation depends on a strong guard and reserve. And a strong guard and reserve depends on us. Everyone can support the National Guard and the reserves. For information on how you can, write Employer Support, Arlington, Virginia, 22209. Brought to you as a public service by this station and the Advertising Council. I'm Bill Lynch, CBS News. Of all the notes struck over all the years on that electronic piano that controlled the World News Roundup, none was as memorable as the reports of war. It was in World War II that radio reporting came into its own. The wartime roundups brought the front home, and no voice had more impact than that of Edward R. Murrow. Murrow and the team he built, William L. Shirer, Richard C. Hottelet, Eric Severide, Charles Collingwood, and Winston Burdett, eventually a World News Roundup anchorman, set the standard for all reporters to come. Listen to Ed Murrow as he reports on his flight aboard the bomber D-Dog over Berlin, a report that would eventually be known as Orchestrated Hell. I began to see what was happening to Berlin. The clouds were gone. And the sticks of incendiaries from the preceding waves made the place look like a badly laid out city with the streetlights on. 
The small incendiaries were going down like a fistful of white rice thrown on a piece of black velvet. The cookies, the 4,000-pound high explosives, were bursting below like great sunflowers gone mad. And then as we started down again, still held in the light, I remembered that the dog still had one of those cookies and a whole basket of incendiaries in his belly, and the light still held it. And I was very frightened. I looked down, and the white fires had turned red. They were beginning to merge and spread, just like butter does on a hot plate. The bomb doors were open, and then there was a gentle, confident upward thrust under my feet, and Boz said, cookie gone. A few seconds later, the incendiaries went, and D-Dog seemed lighter and easier to handle. I began to breathe and to reflect again that all men would be brave if only they could leave their stomachs at home. On D-Day, the roundup became a marathon broadcast. Robert Trout and later Douglas Edwards in New York, Murrow in London, and Charles Collingwood in one of the first recorded reports ever made on the beach at Normandy. Standing here, it's an absolutely incredible and fantastic sight. I don't know whether it's possible to describe it to you or not. It's late in the afternoon, the sun is going down, the sea uh, is, is choppy, and the beach is lined with men and materials and uh, guns, trucks, vehicles of all kinds. Uh, on either side of us, there are pillars of smoke, perhaps a mile, two miles away, which is rising from enemy shelling. And further back... By 1951, the scene had shifted. Another war, another continent. But the World News Roundup continued the tradition. CBS News correspondent Robert Kierpoint in Korea. We have just hit the dirt. I don't know whether this tape is still going, but I'm awful low right now. One o'clock, straight up and down on the morning of the 18th, and we're still out here on the hill with Fox Company and Captain Sutton looking down at Chinese throats as they try to advance up the valley here. Whoop. That was a big one. The World News Roundup was 30 years old in 1968. Satellite feeds had begun to replace shortwave and telephones. This time, the war was Vietnam, and the correspondent, Walter Cronkite. The battle for Hue has taken an odd turn here. I still hope that in a day or two or three days, the Marines will have cleared that section across the Perfume River in the Citadel, but they're waiting for air power to give them a little assistance. A conversation with the man who anchored the World News Roundup for nearly half its 50 years. Dallas Townsend joins me when Newsmark continues. One day, a company in Cleveland sneezed. Later, six of their suppliers in New York and L.A. caught a cold. Then 27 of their clients in three continents came down with the flu. In today's interdependent economy, some event in some unobserved place will soon affect the way you do business, and the Wall Street Journal will be there to observe it. Every business day, the journal monitors the connections that knit the world together, alerting you to events before they ripple their way back to you. The Wall Street Journal, a few ounces of prevention that could ward off a very expensive cure. Get 13 weeks of the journal for just $29.75. 13 weeks, only $29.75. Call toll-free in the continental U.S., 800-228-6600. 800-228-6600.
No one over its half century has been as closely associated with the World News Roundup as Dallas Townsend. Dallas first anchored the Roundup in 1956. He continued with only one two-year break until December 31st, 1982. Dallas, now retired, joins us from the studios of our Sarasota, Florida, CBS radio affiliate WSPB. Dallas, uh, looking back on your part of this half-century broadcast, what, uh, what stands out in your mind? What, what makes this a special newscast? There will be other indictments. Well, I suppose. It is Bill, in a sense, it uh, was the way it started with Bob Trout on that famous and night in 1938. And it, right it, it was a precedent-setting sort of broadcast, picking up live reports from remote points like London and Berlin and Vienna. It was the first time it had been done. It set a standard that I think it has maintained over the years. It was something special. Uh, there have been many imitators since then, but I believe the Roundup has retained its position as the kind of broadcast that people listen to steadily and consistently to get the big news first in the morning. This broadcast certainly was an opportunity to uh, test the limits of the written word in conveying the news of the day. And as one who I know takes a special pride in the, uh, the writing style, I suppose you've seen a lot of change in that as well. Back in the early days of the Roundup, there was greater emphasis on very good writing. Many of the reporters whom we used on CBS News in those days had come from the print medium, and they were masters at the typewriter. There was another point. In the old days, the pickups on the Roundup lasted longer than they do now. They ran about two minutes instead of about one minute maximum now, so that there was more time to... Uh, employ a sense of style. Now, I think uh, the emphasis is more on speed and conciseness. Producing the Roundup is a collaborative affair. Not just the writer and the correspondent, but a producer and a copy editor and a team of technicians who work behind the scenes. And you've had a particularly close and long-lasting relationship with uh, the late Hal Turkel, who uh, in many ways was the spirit of the World News Roundup, who put in probably many more hours than uh, either of us would care to put in. Well, uh, I would say that Hal Kirkell was the mastermind behind the Roundup for all the years that he was the producer. He and I got along extremely well. We understood each other. We understood our attitudes toward news. And we were personal friends as well as professional colleagues. When Hal was producing the Roundup, uh, I felt more at ease than I've ever felt on any other broadcast. And I'm very happy that Steve Baldwin, who succeeded Hal, is producing the Roundup now, and I know that you must have the same sort of relationship with him. Fortunately, we do. Absolutely. When doing this broadcast, one is not always aware of its impact. Uh, there is a realization that a lot of people out there are listening, but uh, sometimes some uh, very prominent people are listening, and uh, we hear back about that from time to time, and I'm sure you have had occasion to get feedback from uh, some VIPs. Well, let me tell you about one particular incident. When John Foster Dulles was Secretary of State, he was a devoted listener to the World News Roundup. And there was one occasion when he was about to fly from National Airport in Washington at around 8.30. He was on the parkway headed for the airport, and he told his chauffeur to slow down so that he could listen to the Roundup in its entirety before he got to the airport. 
This caused an enormous traffic jam. There was such an outcry that there were stories about it the next day in the papers. There's another episode connected with that. While Dulles was Secretary of State, we had a visit one day in New York from a representative of the Department of State who uh, explained that while Secretary Dulles did want to keep in close touch with his office, on occasion he went up to his island retreat in Lake Ontario and he insisted on not having a telephone. But he always listened to the roundup. So uh, it was arranged between CBS News and the State Department that when the department had an urgent need to get in touch with Secretary Dulles, I, on the roundup, would say at the end of some certain story, this news will be of particular interest to Secretary of State Dulles. Dulles would then come over to the mainland and get hold of a telephone and phone Washington. Dallas, uh, as you listen to uh, radio news uh, there in Florida, I'm sure you uh, sometimes cringe at uh, some of the things you hear, that uh, you like other things. Uh, how would you size up the way radio news uh, is in general today? Bill, perhaps it's because of the uh, tendency of memories to make things seem a little fonder than they were, actually. I don't think that radio news is quite as good as it used to be. But on the other hand... Times have changed. The people's attitude toward news and what makes news has changed. On radio now and, and on radio before I retired, we were covering stories that uh, we would not have thought of covering on the roundup. Uh, stories with a, with a social impact, stories about AIDS and cancer and, and uh, other forms of disease. Things that obviously mean a great deal to people now and are important. But in those days, I think we had a tendency just to pass them off. Technical advances have made it possible to do things on the air with tape, with actuality, that we were never able to do before. In the early days of the Roundup, all the reports were live. Now, I think we perhaps uh, rely excessively on tape, especially in actualities. I hear things on broadcast that uh, make me uh, squirm, partly because they don't add anything to the story. And in some cases, because they're just not listenable. The unquotable quote of the day, I suppose. Well, Dallas, continue to enjoy your uh, leisure there, and please continue to listen and uh, keep up with your constructive criticism of us. Longtime Roundup anchor Dallas Townsend. And what of the future? Is there a need for a 14 and a half minute morning radio news report in this television age? Well, nearly two and a half million listeners think so every morning, Monday through Friday. And another one and three quarters million joined Christopher Glenn on Saturday morning. The Roundup audience is competitive with the network television broadcasts. And this kind of radio, according to broadcast historian Ed Bliss, will be around for a long, long time. An eternal service. It will be there to function and serve as far ahead as I can certainly see. We certainly hope so. I'll be back with a look at next week's Newsmark after this. Remember to follow the News Vault from KCBS Radio on social media. On Facebook, we're at News Vault Podcast. On Twitter, find us at News Vault SF. On Instagram, we're at News Vault. Until our next episode, you are leaving the News Vault from KCBS Radio. Hey, Rob. 
Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.